Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. It's my great pleasure this morning. Please give a big warm welcome to Bill James as he comes and brings the word of God. God bless you, brother. Jesus. Well, let's give that clap offering to the one who really deserves it, and it sure isn't me. Jesus, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. And I'd like to introduce my wonderful, adorable, and precious wife, if you would stand. I really want to encourage you to uh, attend the various festivities that were listed there. Uh, I love that you have a special time for toddlers. It's great. when If you get toddlers on fire for Christ, look out, okay? And in fact, I remember many years ago, I uh, preached in the Philippines, and I was very touched because one of their main singers in the church, and it was a large church, was a three-year-old. I mean, it really amazed me, and she got up and sang a, a, a song that, that made me laugh, I have to admit. Some of you perhaps have, have heard the song. Uh, it was sung by uh, B.J. Thomas when he became a Christian, and there's a phrase in it. Remember, this is being sung by a, a three-year-old, okay? And there's a phrase in it that says, it took me some years and some pain and some tears, but you brought me through. And it made me laugh because I thought, wow, that must have been some first three years. That's all I can say. And then I also want to share with you, because, you know, they're talking about going for this uh, Chinese dinner, and uh, it's 15 pounds, and I encourage you to go because, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, British Christian gatherings for dinner are, are the best around. Now you may say, well, well, how do I know that? You may say, well, wait a minute. I mean, look, that, that costs 15 pounds, right? You're going to lose 15 pounds. But the neat thing about British gatherings for dinner is even though you lose 15 pounds when you pay, when you eat, you gain 5 pounds. <laughs> or 2.3 kilograms, whichever you prefer. But uh, in any case, it is the best deal going because every other place you lose a whole lot more, but with a British gathering, you gain part of it back. So with that in mind, we better pray. <laughs> okay, let's pray. Lord, we are so blessed to be in your presence. And we pray, Lord God, that you will just move in a mighty way. Oh, God. You've really laid this message upon my heart, Lord God, and there is much to be done, and you want to use us. You want to use us right here in, in King's Church, Lord God. You want to use us to press on and become all that you've called us to be. Amen. Hide your servant behind the cross. God, that all might see Jesus and Jesus alone. And Lord, we pray this with one goal in mind, that the name of Jesus might be uplifted above every other name. And it's in that name we pray. Amen and amen. You know, I, we really pray much over every church that we go to. And as we were praying over King's Church, the Lord just laid upon my heart, I want this church, my church, God's church, meaning 
to go to the next level, to go to a higher level, to press on and be able to experience all that I have for it. And you, those of you who have seen us talk in the past believe we uh, know that we very much get into the depths of the Word of God, and so that's where we're going to go today. Philippians chapter 3, let's turn there. Philippians chapter 3, and the title of this morning's message is Pressing On. Pressing On, and our text is out of Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21, and the title again is Pressing On. Philippians chapter 3, always easy, by the way, if you have difficulty remembering where the books Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians are. There's an easy way that you can remember it. All you have to do is to remember, go eat popcorn, okay? Go for Galatians, eat for Ephesians, pop for Philippians, and corn for Colossians, and you've got it just like that. So we're at the pop, Okay, popcorn, Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, and it reads this way. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But... Our citizenship is in heaven. Hallelujah. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring any, everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. Well, the Lord gives us certain instructions in this passage regarding pressing on, going to the next level. And that's what I really believe God has for this church in 2016, 2017, to press on to the next level. And the first principle he wants to share with us is that we need to press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of us. And it's so easy to miss that in this passage of Scripture. A lot of times the emphasis is on the uh, verses 13, 14, 15, and 16, and so forth. But we begin in verse 12, where it says at the end, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. And Christ took hold of us, yes, for our own salvation, certainly, so that we can experience heaven, so that we can experience his salvation beginning now, beginning when we are born again, wherever, whenever that might have been. But also, the Lord took hold of us, not only for our sake, but to reach out to others, to reach out in the same way that he reached out to us, so they might experience that salvation as well. 
And you know, I, I, I love many pictures of Jesus. In fact, if Jesus is in the picture, basically by definition, I love the picture. But with all the portraits of Christ I've seen over the years, naturally, just as with you, I'm sure, I do have my favorites. And I think my very favorite picture of Jesus, and maybe you've seen it, it shows a little lamb about to go over a cliff. And you can just see that lamb doesn't have a hope in the world, and it's at the very top of the mountain, and it shows Jesus reaching out to save that little lamb from certain death. And I love that picture because to me, it so eloquently and completely describes what the salvation message is all about. That all of us, at one time or another, we've been like that little lamb. We were like that little lamb who didn't have a hope in the world except for Jesus. And yet Jesus was all that we needed and he rescued us. And whatever our situation is today, his desire is to rescue us. And we are to follow that example, even as Paul emphasizes to follow his example. We are to follow the example of Jesus Christ and reach out to others in the same way. Just as Jesus laid hold of our lives, praise God, we need to be hand in hand with Jesus, reaching out to the lives of others so that they can experience that salvation as well. That's why we're here. Not only for ourselves, but to share that salvation with other people. Before I was married, uh, I ran a halfway house. In fact, I basically converted my flat. I will use the British word. I converted my flat into a uh, shelter halfway house for people who were homeless, for people being released from prison, trying to overcome drugs, you name it. Um, whatever they were trying to overcome, they could come and stay with me. And... Uh, Got to be pretty well known. I mean, any time that uh, you offer free food and free shelter, it's amazing how quickly just about everyone who was homeless, every person coming out of prison and so forth, they hear about you. So it was challenging sometimes to have enough beds for them. But I remember uh, one fellow who came to stay with me, and there were, of course, many. And fortunately, by God's grace, many of them came to Christ. But I remember this one who came to me and... Oh, he was really going down the wrong road because um, his wife was divorcing him. He had been married for eight years, and he was kind of a never-never land. He was kind of in a uh, fantasy world. He won, uh, I, I, Whenever someone came to the halfway house in order to see the Lord do uh, maximize what he wanted to do in their lives, I had the people sign an agreement. Now, the agreement is just common sense, I'm sure, to just about everyone in our church. For example, uh, if you didn't have a job, you were expected to look for one. In fact, if you didn't have a job at all, you're expected to take 40 hours of your week and look for a job. And if you had a part-time job of 20 hours, you're expected to work another 20 hours. If you made a long-distance phone call, I had to be reimbursed for it. I mean, no drugs or alcohol were allowed on the premises, no pornography. I mean, things that are very, very basic. And uh, I asked him why it was that his wife was divorcing him, and he said, well, it was because in the, se the eight years they had been married, he had only worked a total of one year, and his wife was suffering to such a degree that she was malnourished, and in fact, she had been to the doctor and found out she was so malnourished that gangrene was setting in. 
And this is in the United States, okay? I mean, a lot of places you might think, well, what other options are there? But uh, there is a safety net and so forth, as there is in Great Britain. And it's pretty hard to be in that situation. And so uh, she decided to file for divorce because she and the daughter were malnourished. So I said to him, because clearly, even though he signed an agreement to look for a job, he wasn't really looking for a job. I said, you've got a hold to that. And I even said to him, do you think that if you got a full-time job that your wife would take you back? And he said, oh, absolutely. And I said, well, then here is your golden opportunity. Don't miss it. You go look for a job. And he initially got a uh, part-time job at a fast food place, and within a couple of weeks after that, he had a job at an American aerospace company that paid him a ton of money, and guess what? His wife took him back, their family got together, and so forth, and, but when I met him, he was just in, in fantasy land. I mean, he didn't interact with other people, he didn't look for a job, he was just, he would listen to music all day long, and basically that is all that he did. And that halfway house was just a, a wonderful opportunity to reach out with the love of Jesus and see lives turned around. And there were a lot of people here today, you know, in Cambridge, in the city in which we live, they need their lives turned around. They don't know where they're going. There are just, uh, our dear pastor shared about a homeless person who was recently saved. You know, this is, it's so important for us to realize that the Lord wants us to be willing to share the Lord with anyone and everyone. You know, a lot of times we like to uh, share with people who are similar to us. I, I guess that's just kind of human, okay, that maybe they work at the same job or they live in the same neighborhood or they have common interests or, you know, what have you, or they uh, they rejoiced in the results of the soccer match or what you call football championship, okay, and they go for the same team or what have you, and that's wonderful, but that reasoning doesn't work very well many times if we say, well, okay, have uh, business people share with business people, have college students share with college students, the Christian college students share with the unbelieving college students, the Christian business people share with the non-Christian business people, the Christian drug addicts, oh, wait a minute, that doesn't work, does it? The Christian prostitutes, that doesn't work. That we all have to be willing or else a lot of people never hear the gospel. They never have an opportunity to share, uh, to hear the, the love of Jesus Christ about his kindness towards them. We need to be willing to share at any time. The Bible says be instant in season and out of season. I remember one time, my wife and I, we were uh, driving to a wedding in the state of Michigan. And I don't know why I get in these situations, but I, I get, tend to get in these situations where right before me there's a life or death situation. I don't know why I get in these situations, but I do. And there was one time when someone was uh, driving a huge recreational vehicle. And you could see them weaving side by side because it was very, very windy. And you could just see they were going to lose control. And it was a bad place to lose control because here was the road, but then there was a, a huge... Uh, uh, hill on either side of the road so that uh, they would go down the valley, you know, right right there in between the hills and so forth. And so sure enough, they lost control and they rolled down the side of the hill 
And uh, sadly, a lot of people looked on because gasoline was pouring out of the recreational vehicle. People were scared to do anything. And here were these uh, seniors, and I call them seniors. The older we get, the, the more my definition of, of young uh, changes. In fact, my wife and I even had a conversation. We won't tell you who it was. Uh, 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 it was about in the church, and she said, "Oh, do you remember so and so?" And or the, these, uh, this one person in particular. And I said, "Oh, yeah, yeah, she's young." Okay. And um, my wife wasn't so sure if she was young, <laughs> but my definition of young changes over time. Um, but anyway, they were seniors, and uh, they were trapped though within the RV because the uh, vehicle was on its side like so. And another fellow and I went down there. He happened to be another minister. And the only way we could get them out, because, because it was like so, they couldn't get out through the lower portion that was, you know, pinned to the ground. They were too old, even though they weren't that old, to climb to the top. And so what we had to do was smash the windshield. That was the only way to get them out. And then we pulled them out. As gasoline poured out of the car, there was something of a risk of an explosion. But there's an example. We did that. Why? Because Jesus would have done that. And we felt like it was Jesus extending his hand even as he had for that little lamb. Because if Jesus has extended his hand for each one of us, every one of us here today, Jesus has put out his hand for us, whether we've laid hold of that hand or not, and once we receive that hand and we allow him to pull us in, then one of our responsibilities as Christians, or one of the most important aspects of pressing on, is we need to go out there, lay hold of the Lord's hand, grabbing ours, and help others to be brought in as well. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Now, the second principle that the Lord really emphasizes is forgetting what lies behind In our main text, it reads in verse 13, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. We need to forget what is behind. You know, the bottom line is winners are able to forget what lies behind. Losers are unable to forget what lies behind. Now, when I say winners and losers, I want us to think of various award ceremonies. I mean, there are all kinds of award ceremonies. Here in Britain, I know that you have award ceremonies. We have award ceremonies in the United States and so forth. And it's very interesting to watch what happens when someone receives an award, whether it be an athlete, whether it be a, uh, a public servant, whether it be an actor or actress. And just imagine for a moment, this is the award. And if you're thirsty, this is an award. Okay, but just imagine this is an award. How many times when someone receives an award, how many times do they focus on the past and do they gripe about the past? No, they don't. Because they're winners. You don't see someone winning an award, whether it be an Oscar or some sports most valuable player on a, you know, in a sports league or what have you. They, they don't get up and say, well, first of all, I'd like to say something to my phys ed teacher back in third grade who said I was the most uncoordinated person in the class. Ha, ha, ha! I'm with Manchester United! Ha, ha, ha! Guess who's getting the last laugh? No, you don't hear that. 
Or the person has said, yeah, I'd like to talk to my neighbor. Always picked on me when I was a kid. Ha, 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 ha. Look who got this and who's a do-nothing now. Ha, ha, ha. No. No one does that. They focus on the positive. In fact, if they're a Christian, they often they give glory to God first. In fact, uh, we have a, a great basketball player in the NBA now, Stefan Curry, plays for the Golden State Warriors, and he is, I mean, the whole team's Christian. That's the neat thing. Yeah, you're getting excited. I get excited. You're going for the right team. Because when he, he's won the most valuable player now twice in a row. In fact, this last time that he won just a week ago, it was the first time in NBA history in which someone was voted MVP unanimously. First time ever. And very devout Christian, and apparently basically the whole team is Christian. And they just, they just pray, and they just broke the record for the best record in NBA history for the regular season. 73 wins and 9 losses. So pretty amazing. Just an absolutely amazing team. And he just, he always starts by giving the glory to God. But even people who aren't Christian, they may thank their parents or they may thank their coach or someone who gave them a big break. You know, they focus on the positive. Sure, they've had bad experiences. All of us have had bad experiences unless we were a week old. Okay? And even then, you've probably had a, you know, some for your first trials in that first week. Okay? All of us have had bad experiences, but we can't focus on them or they will destroy us. And so Paul says, and this is where I love Christianity versus, say, like Freud. Okay? I mean, Freud, talk about messing up minds. I remember one lady, she was having friction in her marriage. She goes to a Freudian psychologist. She says, how do I, and this is a true story. She says, how do I solve the friction in my marriage? And this Freudian psychiatrist says, well, did you get up, did your parents give you a pacifier when you were young? And she said, no. He said, well, that's it right then and there. You did not get a pacifier. And that's why you're having marital friction. And what you need to do is suck on things. And he recommended that she pick up the habit of smoking, okay, that that was her modern-day pacifier, and if she started smoking, her marriage would get better. I mean, that is Freudian psychiatry, okay? And sure enough, she did start to smoke and then realized, this is absolutely insane. My problems have nothing to do with a pacifier, okay? But that's the world for you. They're always focusing on the past, praise God, Our best days are ahead of us because we're headed to glory. Hallelujah! Amen! We all have negative experiences. We have got to focus on the future. In fact, uh, during the very end of the uh, Civil War, a reporter came up to Abraham Lincoln and uh, said to President Lincoln, he said, I can't understand why do you treat your enemies with such kindness, the reporter said to him. I would think you would want to destroy them. And then Abraham Lincoln replied, I destroy my enemy when I make him my friend. Amen. We've got to focus on the future. Now, many years ago, back in 1979, uh, Iran did a no-no with the United States and with what the Western world and uh, kidnapped uh, 51 
hostages and held them for 444 days. Easy number to remember, 444 days. And one of them was named Barry Rosen. Now later, uh, when Ronald Reagan became president, in fact, it was kind of ironic, the day he became president, that's when Iran released the hostages. Uh, they did not want to mess with uh, President Reagan. And uh, so they released the hostages, including Barry Rosen. But uh, Barry Rosen uh, came to give a speech in Europe, and someone made a terrible mistake. They invited several people to speak. One of them was Barry Rosen, but invited to speak at the same gathering was the mastermind of the kidnapping in Iran, Abbas Abdi. So here they were up on stage. There were a few people, and Barry Rosen was here, who had been kidnapped and held for 444 days. And over here was Abbas Abdi, the mastermind of the Iranian kidnapping. And people thought, oh, my goodness, who messed up? I mean, that's a really big mess up. Don't feel bad over dates, okay? Now you suddenly feel good. That is nothing compared to inviting the kidnappee, okay, and the kidnapper, okay? That is... No bad mistakes, so dates, no problem, okay? So everyone wondered, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? What they're, they're, you know they're going to meet. How is Barry Rosen going to respond when he meets Abbas Abdi? And to everyone's surprise, uh, after the talks were given, Barry Rosen went up to uh, Abbas Abdi, gave him a hug, and shook his hand. And people were stunned. And they asked Barry Rosen, how could you have such a, a forgiving attitude towards the person who masterminded your 444 days of suffering? And this is what Barry Rosen said, and I quote, he said, the past cannot be made to go away and shouldn't, but a new beginning can be made. That is putting the past behind you. And if Barry Rosen could put the past behind him, we can put the past behind us. Amen? But many times it takes a decision of the mind, it takes an act of the will. Now, Clara Barton was the founder of the American Red Cross. She was also a devout Christian. And one time she had a... Um, a friend of hers uh, come up to her and remind her of some wrong that had been done to her in her youth uh, many times before, a really cruel deed that had been done against her. And this friend said, well, well, you remember this, don't you? And Clara Barton said, no, 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 I, I don't remember that. And the friend thought, no way. I mean, it was just so cruel, so horrible, she would have to remember it. So she again repeated. She said, no, 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 you must remember it. And she went into greater detail. And then Clara Barton replied, she said, no, in fact, I distinctly remember forgetting it. <laughs> we have to make a decision to put the past behind us. Amen? Amen, because God has glorious things in store for us, and if we focus too much on the past, we may be robbed of some of the things that God has for us if we are forward-looking. Amen? So praise God. King's Church, we're going to be a forward-looking church. We're going to press on, praise God. We've all had bad experiences, but we're going to put the past behind us. Amen? Amen. Third, 
principle in this passage is we need to strain forward to what lies ahead. Paul says at the end of verse 13, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. We need to be both. Now, what's interesting when you consider putting the past behind us and straining forward to what lies ahead, if you combine the two, that means there are four different possibilities. There's the possibility, the first possibility as you combine the two is that we do neither. We can't put the past behind us and we can't strain forward to what lies ahead. That is the first possibility. Now, these people are spiritually paralyzed. They're so spiritually paralyzed by what has happened in the past, they cannot move ahead. And a lot of times, these people are focused too much on the past. For example, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 10, there is a very interesting verse. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 10 says, Do not say, why were the old days better than these? It is not wise to ask such questions. Now, it's interesting that it says, do not ask why were the former days better than these. It doesn't deny that maybe the past days were better than these. I mean, there are a lot of Brits, there are a lot of Americans that we could easily say that about our nations. I know I could easily say that about the United States. You know, a lot of people in America, if they've lived for a while, they often point to the 1950s as being basically the ideal, the best decade, if you will. Crime rate was low. I mean, people walked the straight and narrow. Uh, Gallup poll indicated that 69% of Americans went to church at least once a week. The television programs were clean. They encouraged morality. They encouraged love and so forth. Dwight Eisenhower was the president. And in fact, uh, there was a spiritual revival occurring during that time. And it was even called the Eisenhower Revival. It was a really good time in America. And similar to the 1960s, I mean, I think the same thing is true in Britain, that by the time you get to the mid-1960s, 63, 64, 65, 66, in both nations, you could begin to see things begin to deteriorate. In fact, there was a saying back in the 1960s in the United States, maybe they had the same saying over here, it's people, adults would say, what scares us is that one day these people are going to be our leaders. And guess what? Now they are, okay? And uh, so, you know, and the same thing. You might say, oh, it was so much better in the U.K. when Sean Connery played James Bond, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and we can, you know, we can refer to golden days and when things were better and so forth. But this verse says, it doesn't deny that maybe there were better days before, but it says, why, do not say why were the old days better than these. It doesn't deny that maybe they were better, but we shouldn't ask why. We shouldn't dwell on it. Because guess what? We're not gonna, those days aren't gonna be here again. I mean, hopefully we'll have wonderful days ahead, but it won't become the 1950s again. We gotta deal with the here and now in 2016. Okay, we can't say, gee, if only it were 1960 again. Okay, fine, but that's not going to do one ounce of good. It's going to cause us to be spiritually paralyzed, motionless, and doing nothing. And praise God, we need to take action. 
So that first category, people who they can't put the past behind them and they can't press on to what lies ahead either. Then the second category are those people that uh, cannot put the past behind them but still strain forward to what lies ahead. Now the worst, probably the worst category of people that fall into this uh, second, uh, second group, terrorists, okay? They can't put the past behind them. You know, it, it's terrible when you hear of people talking about things that happened hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, when none of us were even here, just because someone's great, 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 grandfather did such and such, I'm bitter against you. I mean, there's nothing any of us can do about that. And yet they still strain forward to what lies ahead. It's just that it's with anger. And yet, you know, we need to realize how much Christianity really is different from every other faith in the world. You know, my wife and I, we've been to a lot of countries and for some, in some places longer than others. And, uh, the longest we've been in a foreign country, we were missionaries for two years in Japan many years ago. And, uh, at the time, Japan was only two thirds of one percent Christian. And where we were, um, which was, oh, in a city, I guess about two or three times the size of Cambridge. So it, you know, it wasn't, huge in the sense of, say, London or even Birmingham or Manchester, but, you know, it's a good size, uh, a pretty good size uh, city, and uh, only one-third of 1% Christian in our community. But here's the interesting thing. As hard as it was to have a church there, and God bless the church, by the way, we're thankful for that, but an interesting survey came out. A Japanese newspaper conducted a survey and asked the Japanese people, if you could follow one religion in the entire world, what would it be? And the assumption is that the Japanese people would respond either by saying Buddhism or Shintoism, which are the two main religions there. Shintoism involves the worship of ancient relatives. It's a, a religion largely specific to Japan. But here's the thing. The response of the Japanese people, 57%, said that if they were to follow any religion in the world, it would be Christianity. And everyone was stunned. And then the follow-up question was, why? Why would you want to follow Christianity? And this was the response of the Japanese people. They said, because Christianity is different than every other faith in the world. Because every other faith you are trying to climb a ladder to get to God and you never get there. And Christianity is the only one that provides the solution by Jesus coming down to our level and providing forgiveness. And Haley and I knew at that point that there was going to be something happen in Japan. So a recent Gallup poll now, it's been quite a number of years since we were missionaries there, about uh, 25 years, give or take. And the most recent Gallup poll in Japan now shows that instead of two-thirds of 1% Christian in Japan, 4%. Now again, I mean, that's not gangbusters, but I mean, that's a huge increase. And uh, among 16 to 30-year-olds, 7%. So it's a move among 
the youth. And you could just see it coming if 57% of people answered the way that they did and said if they could follow any religion in the world, it would be Christianity. We could sense something was going to happen in Japan. So even the Japanese understood that there's something unique about Christianity and it's forgiveness. I mean, many people wear crosses. We see it all the time. That's a major symbol of Christianity. It refers to love. It refers to forgiveness. You know, other religions, if you ask them, you know, if you ask a Christian, what is the essence of your religion? In fact, Jesus was basically asked, how can you fulfill the law? And Jesus said, basically, love of God and love of neighbor. Okay? And we are told in First John, God is love. I mean, the essence of what we believe, it goes back to love, it goes back to forgiveness. You know, if you ask people of different faiths that question, they're not going to answer that way. When I've asked those of the Islamic faith, what is, if you were to take one word and describe your faith, what would it be? You know what the most frequent answer I get by far is? Submission. Okay? And that's their set of beliefs. Okay? You, you submit. And then, you know, others believe in nirvana and so forth. And, you know, that's their set of beliefs. You know, it's different for different faiths. But for us, as Christians, it's different. It's all about love and forgiveness. And because it's all about love and forgiveness, that means we can put the past behind us in a way that the world does not understand. And so, uh, for example, even if you're not a boxing fan, I'm not a big boxing fan, but... Even if you're not a big boxing fan, there's probably one, I wouldn't call it recent boxing match, but semi-recent boxing match that people are familiar with, and that was the uh, match between Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson, where Mike Tyson decided to take a bite out of Evander Holyfield's ear, which, you know, let's face it, that probably isn't, you know, something that you want to have happen to you. And... um, Evander Holyfield is, I mean, he may have his faults, but he's a full gospel, born-again Christian, okay? And in fact, on his robe, uh, it would re- it read uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And in fact, uh, if we, I happen to be taping the, that match between Tyson and Holyfield, because I was very interested since Holyfield was a believer. And if you listen very closely to uh, Evander Holyfield's uh, manager, right after he gets bitten in the ear, his manager calls out to him and says, Pray in tongues! Pray in tongues! Pray in tongues! I mean, it's like ultra cool. <laughs> and... Then some months afterwards, I saw uh, an interview on ESPN. Evander Holyfield was asked, wow, that must have been a rough experience. And Evander Holyfield showed the scar in the ear. And the interviewer asked, given what happened, would you give Mike Tyson another shot to fight you? Now, let's face it. You know, you're kind of thinking, no, he'd probably take a chomp out of the other ear, you know. But Evander Holyfield said, no, it's all right, I'm a Christian. And one of the key principles in Christianity is forgiveness. We all make mistakes. So yes, I would give him another shot. And the announcer was shocked. Because again, we all know the human tendency would be, no, that's where I draw the line. I like this one. Okay. I don't want matching pair. Okay. Um, But Evander Holyfield spoke of his faith. 
spoke of forgiveness. That's something the world really cannot understand. But you see, it enables us to put what is behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. Third subcategory is those people who can, uh, who are able to put the past behind them, but can't strain forward to what lies ahead. These are people who escape. And a lot of people escape the pain of the past. Uh, some use drugs. Some use alcohol. And there are other ways to try to escape the past. Some people, in fact, they've actually done a study. Now, this may step on some toes. And if you are wearing sandals, oh, my, this may really step. You're, you're safe. Your shoes are absolutely fine, so you're safe. And you're definitely safe. Those are strong shoes. You ever notice pastor's strong shoes? But anyway, uh, they've actually done a study of people who are sports fanatics. Now, I love sports, but I'm not a fanatic. It's not, I don't live and breathe, you know, it's, it's, oh, I missed that game. My day is ruined, you know, fanatic. People who their mood goes like this depending on whether their team won or lost. Kind of like you find out that so and so, you know, their team lost in the championship or whatnot, and you really know best not to talk, talk to them for a week. You know, that kind of a thing. And they've done a study of why people become fanatics. And what they've discovered is more often than not, they lack victory in their own lives. So they seek alternative, vicarious experiences of victory, and that's how they become fanatics. Again, hey, I'm all for sports. You'll see as I preached and heard me before, I like sports analogies. You'll hear one later in this message, okay? But... There are some ways we try to escape the pain of the past, and if we've got pain in our past, uh uh-uh, don't escape it. We need to run to Jesus, because he is the only one who can heal it. And then, of course, the best alternative is the last, the fourth alternative. We forget what lies behind, and we strain forward to what lies ahead, because we've got Jesus on our side. Amen? We've got a message to proclaim, praise God. We've got a king to proclaim. In fact, you know, it's interesting. My wife and I, of course, we, you know, speak at hundreds of churches through the years. And one of the things we've discovered, which we really didn't expect, is we probably know that people and places, the names that they have in the Bible have significance. That if, you know, Isaiah has a certain name or Elijah has a certain name, these people tend to live up to their names, okay? And uh, names of places tend to live up to their names. And one of the surprises we've experienced over the years is we've found the names of churches. It's the same way today. It's not just something that's in the Bible that we will, for example, there's a church we speak at called House of Refuge. Guess what it's become over the years? A House of Refuge. It tends to live up to its name. And this is King's Church. Amen. It's his church. And we've got a king to proclaim. You know, a lot of a lot of Brits are really into the royalty, and you know, and that's fine up to an extent, as long as you realize who the real king is. Amen. And that's a wonderful way to uh, witness to to people in our area. You know, a lot of times uh, we, a lot of times we as human beings, we tend to complain about the hardships 
of sharing the gospel in our communities. For example, we might complain that, oh, there's so many people these days who are from single parents and makes it so difficult to share the gospel. Well, wait a minute. I mean, it's unfortunate that there are a lot of kids who, you know, are raised in single parent families. That's generally not good for them. But, you know, what an opportunity to share the gospel because usually it's the father who's not in the home. And what a beautiful opportunity to share. You want to meet your real father? Because I was raised in a single parent family, okay? And this is, this is how the Lord spoke to me. I'm your real father. Don't worry about your earthly father. I'm your real father. Same thing with the royalty. We might think, oh, some people are so much into the royalty. They're close to, well, no, what a beautiful way to share about real royalty is to start with the royalty right here and use that as an opportunity to share about Jesus. Amen. Now, this fourth point, so far we've dealt with laying hold of others. We've dealt with forgetting what lies behind, number two. Number three, straining to what lies ahead. Here also we get pretty deep. And because notice it says in verse 14, I press on toward the goal. It just doesn't say, I press on, but I press on toward something. And it's important in the Christian life, not only to press on in the general sense, but to be going toward something. In other words, in everyday living for our situation, individually and as a church, we need to have a sense of vision where God is taking us. Not just to, okay, God... I'm going this way, but we know where we're going because we believe God has laid out a plan. You know, it's much like some of us might remember when we were kids getting one of these uh, wind-up robot kind of toys, you know, one of the ones that goes, shh, and the only problem with these robot toys is everything would go fine until they hit a wall, and then they'd hit the wall, and they'd go nowhere. Okay, they, they were pressing on, but not towards something. And the battery would run down unless you turned them off or turned them in a different direction. It's not just enough to go in a certain direction. We need to know where we're going specifically, unlike that robot. We've got to have a vision. We've got to have a sense of where God is taking us. Now, I promised you a sports analogy. So here's the sports analogy. And you know what? This sports analogy, it changed my life. Now, that may stun you how a sports analogy could change my, change a person's life, but this one has literally changed my life. It was a tape from the 1936 Olympic Games, often referred to as Hitler's Olympic Games. And no, it's not, you know, a picture of Jesse Owens or, you know, many of the uh, tapes from the 1936 Olympics are, you know, showing Jesse Owens winning gold medals and so forth. And that's impressive. But a, a number of years ago, I, I saw a tape from the 1936 opening ceremonies that I had never seen before. And naturally, Hitler was there, and, you know, he was in the grandstand. And what it was, it was a tape of a number of the nations going around as they 
often do every Olympics. They, they march on the first day and they go before the grandstand and so forth. And obviously a very difficult situation. 1936, Hitler is you know, becoming more and more powerful. And uh, I had never seen this before. And um, a lot of you may know that there are really two official languages of the Olympics, English and French. And if uh, you know a little bit of uh, French, um, the United States is referred to as the Estados Unidos. Okay, so usually in English, you know, united, just like with the United Kingdom, we're kind of at, at the end of the uh, Olympic march. But in this one, we are actually more towards the front than, than we were toward the end because the uh, nations marched according to the French. And uh, so the United States came along. And I don't know if you know this about the United States or not, and I'm not saying whether generally it's good or bad, although in this case I think it was good, but we have a long history in our country on opening ceremony day that we're the only nation that when we come before the grandstand, we don't bow the flag, okay? And certainly to Hitler, we would not bow our flag. And of course, Hitler did not like it that the United States held its flag high and refused to bow its flag before Hitler. So Hitler was quite perturbed about that. But here's the part I had never seen. Uh, so the, the United States went, Estados Unidos, so we would be listed under E. So then comes F, and the French team comes. And I had never before seen this, and it changed my life. The French team, remember 1936, if you know the chronology of, of World War II a little bit, and of course 1940, Hitler moves into France. So here comes the French team, here's Adolf Hitler, and the entire French team goes, and I didn't realize they had done that. I was stunned. I thought, oh my goodness, what that communicated to Adolf Hitler. He must have thought in his head, hey, they're my servants already. This will be easy to march into France. This will be easy to take Paris. They are my servants already. And uh, the French, I don't really believe in 1936, had much direction, had much vision. They were more interested in appeasing Hitler than they were in going in a specific direction. And the United States, at least at that time, I wish I could say the same thing now, it's not true, but at least at that time, the United States had a lot of vision. We need vision. We can't, I know there are a lot of forces coming at us, a lot of people who would oppose Christianity, and to say if you're a Christian, zip your mouth about your beliefs and your convictions, but this is not the time to appease the enemy. This is not the time to walk by Satan and those who serve him and to go like so. Uh-uh. This is not the time. Because Satan will look at that and say, these individuals will be easy pickings. We have got to have vision. We have got to be going forward because we're either going forward or we'll go backward. It's one or the other. And we've got to have the determination. Hallelujah! We are going to go forward. I believe that King's Church is going to have an influence on Cambridge. I believe we're going to have an influence on this, this entire nation. I believe we can easily even make a difference by God's grace alone on this world. If we have a vision, if we are not just pressing on, but we're pressing on 
towards something. We know that we're going somewhere, and that somewhere is where God has taken us. His plan. Not our plan, but His plan. Amen? Amen. Last point, and that is we need maturity, patience, and determination. Now, it's interesting regarding maturity. Verse 15. All of us then who are mature should take a view, such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. You know, we need to not only press on, and that takes maturity, but part of maturity is being accepting regarding others' journeys as well. Sometimes people, they don't get it yet. Sometimes maybe we feel like giving them a little nudge, okay? But we need to be patient, because that's the second point. Because in time, a lot of times, God will reveal that to them. Because let's be honest, all of us are a little bit slow. Human beings, we are slow. I didn't, I, I was an atheist until I was age 18. I was raised in an atheistic family. One of the things I am so thankful for is that God put up with me the first 18 foolish years of my life. And I'm also thankful that, you know, I never got into the drugs or alcohol or ladies that I could have gotten into. Hallelujah. Even though I was an unbeliever, God protected me. I am so thankful for that. God was patient with me. And if he was that patient with me, I need to be patient with others. Because sometimes as human beings, we are a little bit slow. You know, sometimes I say to uh, people, the question is not whether my, uh, how high my IQ is, it's whether, is it double digit, single digit, or minus? Okay. <laughs> and uh, God is patient with us, praise God. And also, notice also what it says, is we need to not only have maturity, not only patience, but we need to have determination. Because notice it says in verse 16, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Now that is an interesting statement if you think about it. Live up to what we've already attained. In other words, let's not lose the progress that we've made. You know, a lot of times we don't realize there's that possibility. I mean, one of the best examples of this is King Solomon. And in fact, a number of the kings, King Uzziah, others, they started off so well, but they didn't stick with it. They slipped, and everything that God has taught us, let us continue in that and go even further. And to do that, we need to be humble. We need to realize whatever we've accomplished, whatever we've gained, not about us. It is all about the grace of God and His willingness to even use human beings. I mean, honestly, you know, we need to realize just how small we are. In fact, one of my very favorite things to do with my wife many times is to walk out at night and look up at the stars and be reminded about just how small we are and yet be reminded how big God is and that He cares. And I felt so good when I found out years later that our... 26th president, who's on Mount Rush, you know, who's, uh, who's, uh, you know, among, among the greatest there, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, he did the same thing when he was president. He would, would walk out under the stars with a friend of his and, uh, and then he would say, uh, feel small enough now? 
And then when they'd feel small enough, then they would, uh, they would return to, wow, what, what great grace God has shown to each one of us, and we need to depend on him more than ever. But I believe God has powerful things in store for this church. And again, I said, God, what do you want to say? What do you want to say this weekend? And the Lord just said to me, my message to this church is I want it to go to the next level. I've done a great work at King's Church. I want to take it even to a higher level. We're not capable. None of us are. But he is. Amen? He is. You believe that? Amen. Let us pray. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.